0: Once again and welcome to Be Boomer Unleashed episode 103. I'm Jerry Lake, the Unleashed Baby Boomer, and I'll be your host for today's episode and all the episodes of Be Boomer Unleashed. Well, this is the first episode in 2021, so I guess it would be appropriate to say happy new year to all of you. Hope you had a great Christmas holiday and I hope you had a great new year's celebration and we look forward to great things in 2021. Before we get into today's episode, let me remind you, as always, where you can find our podcast. You can always find us at bboomerunleashed.podbean.com. You can also find us on iTunes and Google Play at bboomerunleashed, at iHeartRadio at b.boomerunleashed. You can also find our link on Facebook, Spotify, and Instagram at bboomerunleashed, and on Twitter at bboomerunleash one As always, we encourage you to drop us an email at bboomerunleashed at gmail.com. Once again, that's bboomerunleashed at gmail.com. With your comments, criticisms, suggestions for future episodes, and as always, if you'd like to be a guest on the Be Boomer Unleashed podcast, just let us know what you'd like to talk about, and we'll do our best to get you on there. Well, episode 103 starts a 52-week segment of Just Good News. Uh, We've committed 2021 to bringing you Just Good News from times past and from times present. Well, today we have a current day good news story, and we have a special guest we're going to interview. We're going to interview Josh Bloss. And Josh is a former student of mine, and we're going to talk a little bit about the dark world of drug and substance abuse and Josh's recovery from that. And we're so proud of him and we're so happy to have him on the Bee Boomer Unleashed podcast today. So without further ado, let's go to that recorded interview now. Well, folks, we have a special guest with us today, Josh Bloss, who has uh, been on our podcast before. He came on our podcast last year. We were doing some episodes on life after high school. And Josh is one of my former students we back in middle school when I was principal at Barbersville Middle School. Agreed to come on the podcast then, and uh, he has agreed to come back again. And we're going to tell a little different story this time uh, than we did when he was on the podcast before. So, good morning, Josh. Welcome to Bee Boomer Unleashed again.
1: Good morning, Sarah. And actually, if you remember, you were my principal at Huntington High my freshman and sophomore year. Yeah, I know. That's crazy, huh? And Yeah, uh, you actually got to see a different side of me
0: then. Yeah, it, <laughs> it happens quickly. Uh, But Josh has uh, had an interesting life uh, after high school, and uh, he has uh, certainly uh, led a life that a lot of people would uh, envy uh, and uh, some people would scoff at. And I think that's true for all of us. And we're going to talk about his pseudonym here a little later. But, Josh, before we get into uh, the, the... meat of this interview and what we're going to talk about. Tell us a little about yourself. Tell us about Josh as a kid. Tell us about growing up in West Virginia.
1: Sure. You know, I grew up uh, here in Lesage, so, you know, pretty local little spot right outside of Huntington along Route 2. I attended Cox Landing Elementary, then where I met you at Barbersville Middle uh, about a year after they consolidated. So I was supposed to have really went to Coxland Dean Junior High, but you know, it didn't happen and uh grew up along Route Two across my Glenbrier apartments and just you know, just your average kind of kid for the most part, just, you know, outside playing, romping around a lot when it was warm and had some fun sledding down the hills when it was snowy and things like that when I was younger, when we had plenty of snow. So
0: how about um, that white Christmas this year? Wasn't that uh, something?
1: My wife absolutely loved it. It's the first one we've had since, you know, when we got married over 10 years ago. So right. she was she was thrilled and excited because she grew up in Cincinnati, so she's always been used to a white Christmas.
0: Right. But it was it was great boy it came quickly on Christmas Eve here. By the way, we're doing this podcast where recording this on January 2nd, so I guess it would be appropriate to say Happy New Year, too. So uh, we made it through 2020. That was interesting, huh? Oh, 2020. What an up-and-down year. Yeah, it was It was exciting and interesting, to say the least. Uh, and uh, hopefully 2021 will bring us a, a, a few more <laughs> happy stories. But, yes. uh, boy, pe- people have... Uh, Really had it uh, this year. Well, Josh, uh, you've asked to come on the show and share your story. I put out the um, uh, request a few episodes ago. Anybody has a good story they'd like to share, uh, let me know about it. Or if you know anybody that has a good story they'd like to share, let me know you about it. And you answered the call, and I really appreciate that. But we're going to talk a little bit about substance abuse. And uh, I'm sorry to say I was Josh's principal in middle school and in high school, but really wasn't aware at that time so much of Josh's uh, substance abuse problems. So Josh, take us down that road of substance abuse as a as a kid.
1: So how everything started was, you know I had a you know, I, I ran around with a pretty rough crowd. And around between 93 and 96, I mean, just a lot of things happened. You know, parents split up, divorces, things like that. Things got ugly. Uh, you know, basically the family was splintered and just, yeah, my mo- my mother tried to get us. And she Actually, she did put us in counseling at the time. And, you know, it just, I never trusted strangers and I wasn't going to fully open and ex- it, you know indulge somebody who i didn't know and couldn't trust because there was an instance where something happened um cps was called and then they went and put what was investigated public and people who weren't supposed to hear it heard it and i mean that just that caused a whirlwind of issues and just you know uh wanted to find a way to deal with it. And unfortunately, I had friends who were already into the negative limelight of starting to abuse drugs, and I just followed them down that road, and I got addicted to pain pills and alcohol at a young age.
0: Wow. You know, you mentioned CPS, and, you know, I've dealt with CPS for years with um, with children in middle school and high school. And uh, I'm sure they do some good work, I, I'm sure they do, but I have really never been overly impressed with CPS. I have had students in the past who really needed to be removed from the home. They were afraid to go home. And um, CPS didn't respond to that. And then I've had kids who really didn't need CPS intervention and for some reason they got a burr under their saddle for somebody and, and went after them. So. CPS like I say in the right environment in the right light I'm sure they do a good good work but never really have been too impressed with with their track record but so they opened up a, a can of worms for you and uh, you say uh, you were introduced to uh, pain meds etc where 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 did you come across the pain meds and those kinds of things
1: I had friends whose parents and who were uh, had some medical issues and they had leftover pain pills and, you know, I don't want to really name, you know, sure. Right. You know, I want to respect that. no. never said I would turn anybody in, No. but, um, you know, they just said, well, you know, we'll try this, see, you know, see how you feel. Maybe, you know, take a little bit of the agile. Cause I mean, I was, you know, I was, you know, I mean, I was rebellious. I, you know, I didn't really click with anybody and just, I felt numb and liked how it felt. I didn't feel anything. I could find a way to not have to face and deal with my issues, and I just kept myself numb for a long time. And that went on from... Right right around the beginning of sixth grade through towards the end of eighth grade, which you've seen how I progressed downhill. Right. And I came in as a bright student. I had mostly A's and B's. Right. And by the time eighth grade came, I mean I still had good grades, but my attitude was horrible. I mean, you dealt with me almost weekly. Yeah, it was pretty bad. <laughs> but <laughs> no, was weren't just me. You had the trio, you had me, John, and the other John. Yeah. That's and, right. You know, I mean the three of us were pretty tight knit then and You know, we all kind of suffer from the same things and uh, wanting to be numb or dealing with bad homes or being put down by family and things. And just, you know, that's that's how the three of us became so close. And, you know, they were my partners in crime, as to say. And, you know, I mean, yeah, you had a lot of dealings with us, but, you know, it just, I kept getting, kept taking more, kept taking, you know, my tolerance got higher, so I kept doing more and more. And towards the end of eighth grade, and then going into ninth, uh, friend, a, a really good friend of mine that I've known since before kindergarten literally body slammed me in his backyard and left an impression on, it, on his on his property from where he slammed me so hard. Because he just, you know, after I woke up, because he knocked me out for a couple seconds. After I came back to, he's like, "Dude, I'm 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 sick and tired of this. I'm tired of watching my best friend kill himself." Right. And that was the first time I got sober, and I was sober for 18 months. Right. Which is why you seemed to change in me when I went to Huntington High.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So this recovery process, and we're going to talk a little more about substance abuse too, but this recovery process, uh, is this something you did on your own with your friends, or did you go to uh, meetings? Did you go to counseling of any sort? What? Tell me about that.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I did have friends that, that weren't abusing drugs. You know, I could go and talk with them and sit, and you know, keep myself busy and away from that. I, I kept myself for the 18 months that the first time I was clean. You know, I kept myself away from those people, away from those influences, away from that scene, and just you know, I tried to better myself and I built you know, not to put anybody down, but a better circle of trust around people, and I became closer with those who had helped me get and stay sober for a little while.
0: You know, you talk about Huntington High, and uh, when I was principal there, and um, you would walk down the hall, and there would be small groups of people standing around talking, and then and, uh, and there would be larger groups of people standing around talking, and then you would see periodically the one person by themselves standing against the wall, not making eye contact with anyone. Uh, not having anything to say to anybody is is that? Do you think that kind of behavior may be a warning sign to something?
1: It could be. I mean you know I was a, mostly a bit of a loner myself at Huntington High. I mean I had a couple of people I knew, but you know where I was, you know they redo re, redrew the district lines. so you know I was supposed to have gone to Capitol middle with everybody else, but when they did the line redid the district lines on route two, I was at Huntington High. So, I mean, for me, it was just kind of keeping to myself, not knowing exactly, you know, who to go to or where to go to, because some of the friends I had at Huntington High were some of the same people that got me addicted to drugs. Right. So, you know, so it, it, it can be, but you have to come up to it in the right way. What, what do you think uh,
0: is the reason that People who are suffering these kinds of, all um, oh, depression or bad home situations, etc. Why do you think it's so tough for them to talk to some all responsible adult? Why why do they why do most people bottle that stuff up and turn to something like drugs, for example, as as opposed to um, reaching out to someone?
1: It's nonjudgmental. Right. You know, most, most kids, you know, you go to an adult to tell them something trusted. And my experience with adults has been, they've turned me in. Mm. They've went and told them things, sometimes personal and private things that I said, you know, I can't have this shared with anybody. So, you know, can you keep this to yourself? And they didn't. So you you lose that respect. You lose that trust of, hey, what can I do? Who can I trust and then you look at these abuses you know alcohol drugs uh pain pills like for me and you see oh it's non-judgmental right it does the same thing to everybody so why should i feel anything when i feel crappy
0: right i um i used to tell kids uh, before they would reveal their deepest secrets to me i'd say i need to tell you something if you're going to give me information that uh you're going to hurt yourself or somebody else, I I can't keep your secret. I will help you if I can, but I can't keep your secret if you divulge to me that you're going to hurt yourself or or somebody else or somebody is hurting you. Um, And that's not always the case when kids need open. A lot of times it's just you know I got a new stepmom in the house got a new stepdad in the house you know my brother sucks you know it's you know just yeah. just a lot of stuff like that and I've counseled with a lot of kids over the years but I always I always let them know up front uh, if you're going to tell me you're going to hurt yourself or somebody else or that somebody's hurting you I'm a mandated reporter and I have to divulge that information you know but a lot of uh, I've been acquainted with a lot of teachers and a lot of uh, people in the education business will tell a kid, "No, you tell me. I'll I'll keep it to myself," knowing that they can't do that. And uh, uh, I don't know why they're just not honest and upfront with the kids to begin with.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, you and like I said, you've seen the the decline in me, and you know, I, I know you you were the kind of uh, authority figure where you didn't want to overstep and you know you wanted the kids to come to you if there was an issue but i mean i couldn't tell you how many times i had mrs dilly and uh, mr rose my ninth grade math teacher pull me aside and say what's wrong what's, what's going on with you some days you're perfectly fine other days you're just like almost out of it like right. you're falling asleep in class like what's up like you're a good kid what's wrong and I just come up with some excuse and I hated lying to Miss Dilly, but I didn't want her to know the truth. I didn't sure. want her to break her heart.
0: Sure. Um, so let's get back to the uh, substance abuse just a bit. And you said it was mostly pain pills and so it was was alcohol involved in that whole scenario too.
1: Yes. Yeah, especially when I, you know, when I had, when I took a liking to Tylenol 3s, you know, with the coating and stuff, I liked mixing it with a lot of bourbons and whiskeys. Right. Which is a very dangerous combination. Had, and in days that I just wasn't taking pain pills, I was just drinking straight vodka just to, you know, those were my poisons of choice.
0: We had, um, back in your day, there was, um, oh, I guess a pastime or a a thrill-seek known as skittling. You remember that? And they would take uh, just all kinds of pills. didn't matter what kind they were, but as many different colored pills as they get, and they would just uh, get together and dump all those in a bowl and just take a handful and see what happened, you know. So a lot of kids bit to dust on that, and... A lot, of, uh, a lot of people don't understand the adverse effects of, uh, of medicine, but you try it, and it doesn't hurt you. You feel good, and then you try a little more, and you try a little more, and pretty soon you're hooked. We had a girl that stole uh, a bottle of uh, Corsedin cold capsules from, uh, they were little red pills, and she stole them over to the Dollar General store. Put them in her pocket and walked out with it, and she took, uh, I think, 25 of them. And, um, wow, by about uh, 10 o'clock, she didn't know where she was. She was, she was pitiful, and we finally got uh, uh, someone to tell us. Uh, you know, we had her in the office, in the nurse's office, and we were trying to figure out what was going on. We kept asking, did you take something? Did you take something? And finally one of her friends came in who didn't know exactly where she was, and she said that she had taken all those uh, core seed and cold tablets in the morning. And it just about killed her. They took her to the hospital and pumped her stomach and stuff. So, I mean, but um, kids will try some crazy stuff, won't they, Josh?
1: Absolutely they will. You know, luckily, I mean, my 15-year-old, he's, you know, he's he's not gone down that road. But, you know, um, on the upside is, I mean, I'm not his biological father, but I am in the final processes of finally adopting him to right. make him legally mine right but i mean you know his childhood has turned out a lot better than mine ever did i can say that for sure i have definitely thought to make sure that he's had a lot better childhood and more understanding of the world
0: yeah he's a good kid good kid and uh he's uh, he's funny he's got uh, <laughs> got great sense of humor
1: yeah, i mean you know he's you know he's loving his freshman year at midland and he's loving the fact he gets to go to the Votech, and he's you know he's doing well in that
0: Let's talk about your recovery a bit and uh, take us through that and where you were and how you dug yourself out of that hole.
1: So after my like 18 months of being sober, uh, you know, a lot of things happened again, and I just finally threw up my hands and said, you know what, screw it. I'm just going to go back to not feeling anything because, I mean, I went through another really second hard hit of depression with some things that happened. In 2000, and from 2000 on through, you know, I struggled up and down, you know, trying to get sober. I'd have some success here and there, and, uh, you know, and something would happen. I'd hit a bump along the road, or like I'd get hurt and I'd get addicted to pain pills I'd never told anybody, hey, I have a problem with this. And it wasn't until after, uh, My second kidney stone at things just went straight back downhill. Like I just quit caring. And my wife just looked at me and said, you have a choice. It is me and our son or your substance abuse problems. She said, I will help you. I will listen. I will talk with you. I will help, you know, anything and everything that she could do that was in her power to do, she would help me do. And... She just finally made me choose my family or my demons.
0: Tough love.
1: Yes. And that's exactly what I, I've needed for a while was tough love. It was, you know, the joy of being numb or pick the hard road, take a little tough love and gets clean.
0: So you chose the higher road?
1: Yes. If I hadn't, I would have lost my job eventually. That I have now, which is a really, you know, a good paying job. I have excellent benefits, and you know, I, I, I chose. You know, I don't, I don't want to lose my wife. I don't want to lose my son.
0: The, uh, you talked about the uh, prescription drugs too. I, I think a lot of, uh, not a lot of doctors today. I mean, I had open-heart surgery back in May, and the strongest thing they gave me for pain was the Tylenol. And, of course, I don't want it, didn't want any uh, harsh pain medications. But a lot of times in, in years gone by, and it's not so much today, but it still happens a lot, they were prescribing uh, Oxycontin and Oxycodone drugs like that just, just like candy.
1: That's what got me, and after that second kidney stone, they uh, they gave me oxycodone, and I just, you, no one recognized me. It just burnt out the absolute worst side of myself, and that is what drew the line in the sand.
0: And, you know, it it, it happens a lot. Uh, there's a video out. It's probably still on YouTube. Uh, you can probably find it. Uh, the FBI produced it a number of years ago. It's called Chasing the Dragon. And it's about drug addiction, and, and it tr- follows the life of, like, I think it's eight or ten drug addicts. And they were actual interviews with these people in and out of prison. Some success stories, some some of these people are dead now. You know, they've overdosed. And, and uh, this one lady in particular I remember, she... Talked about, you know, she had this great job. She, um, you know, was a, a happy mother and wife and had a great family. And she fell and injured her back. And they prescribed her to with uh, oxy uh, cotton. And uh, she would uh, take those, and the pain would go away. Well, she couldn't get off of them, so. She ran all the prescriptions she would. Then she started buying it on the street. Well, as you probably know, uh, it's oxycotton's more expensive than heroin, and yes. uh, so the next thing you know, she's buying heroin because she can get it cheaper than oxycotton. And next thing you know, she's a heroin addict, and uh, it's just uh, it's just a waterfall once you get going on this stuff, isn't it, Josh?
1: It is, and you know, and my wife, um, you know, I mean, you can make a whole episode about her too. I mean, she, her, she lost her parents at a young age. She lost her biological father at seven. Her stepdad that adopted her at fourteen. She lost her mom just after she turned twenty-one, and she never once turned to abusing alcohol or drugs to deal with it. So, I mean, she's got a stronger will than I do, and I have a pretty strong will.
0: Right, you know in the midst of this COVID pandemic or whatever we want to call this thing, and I know the virus is real, as you do, and we probably both know families who were touched by it or maybe even lost people through COVID, but, I mean, it's uh, we've kind of gone crazy with it as far as locking people down and telling them to social distance and, and uh, stay cloistered down. I remember when I was uh, started school teaching back in 1973. My first year, I caught everything that was coming along. These kids, they were all germ factories, sneezing and snotting around on you, you know. And um, uh, after I'd taught for a year or two, well, I could walk into a room with the bubonic plague and not catch it, you know. And, and I've watched that over the years with teachers who came, first-year teachers, sick all the time after the first year, they kind of build up this immunity. And I think one of the worst things you can do physically is to isolate yourself because your immune system goes downhill. But from a mental aspect, I was talking to someone else. I was talking to someone the other day in the mental health profession. You know, drug abuse is up, alcohol abuse is up, spouse abuse is up, child abuse is up, suicides up. And uh, during this time, a lot of people have turned... I think, to the drugs and the alcohol to, to help them get through this time. I, I don't think it's been a good thing for us.
1: No, it hasn't been. I mean, people are, are learning new and different things about themselves that they don't like because they are, they're forced to literally just be slammed against the wall with, hey, stop your lifestyle, and then you know, just stand still and don't move out of fear of this virus. And it's brought a lot of, you know, a lot of negative traits and people out.
0: Yes, it has. And uh, of course, CPS. We go back to them, and they're so covered up right now that they can't. They don't have enough workers to go out and handle these things. And a lot of these teenagers that need to be removed from these abusive homes are just killing themselves. So, uh, because they can't get the help that they need, and it's and it's really sad. But how long you been sober, Josh?
1: Seven years and one day, and counting.
0: Seven years, one day, and counting. Well, that's awesome. And life during and after recovery is uh, uh, probably better than it was uh, during the addictive process.
1: It is. I've looked back at everything it's cost me, and I just can't believe just how thoughtless and careless I was.
0: And, you know, that's that's a good point you make, thoughtless and careless. A, A drug addict or a substance addict... Will do whatever they need to get that next fix. It doesn't matter whether you're stealing from mom and dad or grandma or grandpa or whatever you know. And uh, it's they got to get that fix.
1: For me, for me, my trigger was my anger, and I mean, it was that was something that could just pop up faster than hitting a lighter.
0: Yeah. Wow.
1: So that, that was my trigger. As soon as I just reached that point, it was just, okay, I know I'm going to do something stupid, so why don't I just make myself numb and forget
0: about it? I understand. Well, let's shift gears here just a little bit. Let's talk about your pseudonym a little bit. Um, who is this Jason Blaine guy?
1: <laughs> Jason Blaine, my alter ego. Who <laughs> is the creative side of me that has become... A very big part of myself, actually. He's a, he's a something to me that reminds me just how much of an idiot I used to be in the past and can put it to words better than I can and tell a compelling story. <laughs> and you've
0: got uh, some books published, haven't you?
1: I have. I have uh, I have six that I have self-published on my own. That's not counting my young adult uh books which i need to go back through and do some work with them and update them but altogether i have 10 books and one was picked up by a publisher last year
0: that's awesome
1: and i'm in in association with archway publishing who is the sister company to simon and schuster publishing who's owned by cbs viacom
0: that's awesome I, I am so proud of you. I mean, I think that's just uh, that's just awesome. Where um, where can people find your uh, literature? Where where can they buy that?
1: So, if you're an ebook fan, you know you can go all the typical spots. You can go to Amazon, uh, Walmart's uh, Barnes and Noble, Books a Million. Just just about anywhere that has like uh, a Kindle reader or a Nook or any kind of ebook format, you can find it that way. Paperback, you can find at Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, and Amazon right now. Uh, They're getting ready to start distribution of the paperbacks. I'm hoping soon they can land the Walmart deal, because if I get the Walmart deal, then that's guaranteed money, which could be up to 1 million copies being bought from Archway to Walmart.
0: That's awesome. And, you know, a lot of people don't know about this, but uh, if you're an Amazon Prime member, you get a lot of free stuff that you can download to your Kindle, don't you? Yes, you can. And uh, so, you know what, uh, you can just download it and read it. But uh, I, I'm i kind of old-fashioned, you know me. I kind of like to have my hands on the paper, you know, and turn, uh, turn the pages. But a lot of people are into the, uh, into the e-books today. So uh, uh, that's just great. Well, as the clock winds down here, uh, Josh slash Jason... Um, if you had a piece of advice for those suffering from addictive behavior, they might not even know that they're suffering from addictive behavior. Uh, What would that piece of advice be?
1: The best thing I could tell anybody who is suffering or has suffered or is beginning to get clean and sober is don't be afraid of the emotions that come with being confused. When I was sobering up, I was a mess emotionally. I had my good days. I had my bad days. But don't be afraid of what you're going to feel. It's going to be a whirlwind of emotions. There's going to be days you're going to be completely sad and depressed for no reason. Other days you're going to be feeling like you're on top of the world. Other days it's going to be tough just to roll out of bed. Don't fight those feelings let them filter themselves out because there's some reason that they're coming back to the surface you're coming back from being numb you're coming back from the abyss and you're going to not be able to predict everything you go through and if you're feeling sad about something write it down You know, find a way to have an outlet. For me, I started writing books, and look where it's led me there.
0: Right.
1: Don't don't be afraid to express it. Even if you write it down and then burn the paper, find an outlet, a healthy outlet. If it's turning on music and just screaming at the top of your lungs for just two minutes, it's out. You you will feel better. May not feel relieved, but you're going to feel better. And you know that's a
0: good point. You know, get it out there. You know, do what you need to do because a lot of people, when they're addicted to something, whatever it is, just replace that addiction with another addiction. You know, they you know they might be addicted to alcohol and they turn that off, and so, well, I, I don't need to drink, so I'll I'll turn to drugs or I'll turn to this or that or something else. So, it's getting those feelings out and, and understanding that it's probably okay to have those feelings. You just need to learn to deal with them. Is that what maybe, yeah. yeah. And, and, and
1: that's the thing. is You know, when people don't know where to turn to, they're going to find something to fill that void because if you're depressed, you're going to want to feel happy. So you're going to find a way to make yourself feel numb from being depressed. You may not necessarily be happy, but, hey, I'm not feeling bad right now. So yeah. I'm going to continue to do this. And you need to, yeah. Yeah, as for me, like I said, my trigger with anger, anything that really pushed that button all the way down is, okay, I don't want to feel this. I don't like it.
0: Right. And, you know, people uh, who are struggling, they need, there needs to be some sort of support mechanism, whether that is uh, your, your faith, whether that's a family member, whether that's uh, you know your loving wife, whether that's a mom or a dad or a, a good friend or a or a group that you go to, you, there's got to be some kind. You, it's you, no man's an island. Uh, some famous author said that one time. Uh, no man's an island, and uh, we're we're social beings. We need to, we need to interact uh, and with whomever it is we interact with to try to help us through these times, don't we?
1: Yes. And if there is somebody who is around who's seen you messed up and they now see you sober, give them a chance to express how you're feeling. Give them a chance to see the other side of the coin. They've seen you at your worst. Let them see you at your most vulnerable to where, you know, and, and if they judge you, well, then obviously they're not the ones who need to be there at the moment to help you.
0: Right, yeah.
1: And yeah. if you feel like they're going to be judgmental, okay, well who who else can you go to? I mean, right. you can always trust a priest or a pastor, for right? The most part. You know, like I got blessed that the pastor of my church, I went, you know, we went to school together, and he helped Jen and I through our marriage counseling too, and he's right. someone who you can go to say, "Hey, this is how I'm feeling," and he's not going to judge you and he's not going to tell anybody.
0: That's pretty good advice. Well, Josh, Jason, <laughs> you guys—it's <laughs> been great to have you on this morning, and uh, thank you for being part of Journal Entry Number One on our Just Good News segment of B Boomer and I'm dedicating 52 episodes to nothing but good news. You know, we've had enough bad news in 2020, and and i'm sure there'll be some bad news out in 2021 but we want to uh, just concentrate on good news stories whether it be a story like yours whether it be a rags to riches story whether it be a healing from a disease story whatever it might be so uh, you folks who are listening out there if you'd like to come on and be a part of this uh, podcast like uh, josh we'd we'd love to have you but josh Thank you so much for being guest number one on in 2021.
1: And to end this on a high note, *Escaping River Creek*, the book that was picked up by Archway Publishing, they're already talking about movie rights.
0: All right, all right. Is there a part in it for me, maybe?
1: Great <laughs> possibility. All
0: right. Oh, mate. Well, Josh, thanks again, brother. You have a great uh, New Year and we really appreciate spending time with you. You're you're welcome to come on this
1: podcast anytime. Okay? Thank you, sir. Anytime you need me, I'll be here.
0: Well, that concludes our first episode for 2021. Wow. 2021. Can you imagine that? I hope you enjoyed that interview with Josh. I enjoyed uh, uh, catching up and talking with him and listening to his story about his recovery from substance abuse. And if that's not good news, I don't know what is. Well, if you'd like to be on the B Boomer Unleashed podcast with your good news story, we would love to have you on the show. And all you got to do, just drop us an email, beboomerunleashed at gmail.com. That's unleashed at gmail.com. Let us know what you want to talk about, and we'll do our best to get you on the podcast. Well, thanks for coming along today. Thanks for all the support and listenership you gave us over the past couple of years, and we look forward to being with you again this year. Hope to see you next week, but until then, have a great week, and may God bless each and every one of you. Goodbye.